knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of castingacross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. Episode 101, and it is the 10th edition of Fly Fishing Accusations, where I have opportunities to interact with the things that you have written and uh, chirped at me over the last 10 weeks, 11 weeks actually, because last week was a special podcast episode where I had my three oldest boys on to talk a little bit about fishing. They had an absolute blast. I don't know if you could tell because they were incredibly professional. Like they they were so dialed in um, when they were doing that uh, podcast. That was one take. We did have to stop a few times because people were fighting with lightsabers and whatnot, but it was one take. They, they, they do good stuff. And uh, I appreciate the feedback I got from last week's episode, and I shared it with them, and they appreciate it. So I always say that I like getting your emails and uh, your feedback, but uh, if you had ever wanted to write in and haven't done it, uh, if you wanted to from last week's, now's the time to do it because you would make an 8, 6, and 4-year-old's day, and their dad and mom get pretty proud about it. So Matthew at castingacross.com if you have any feedback about uh, interviewing children or in general. But let's get right into it. I've got a lot of stuff, and uh, as I always say, I'm always happy to get feedback, and I try to get back individually to everybody, but I can't get to everything on the podcast or the website. But all of those things kind of go in the hopper in my brain, and, and a lot of times things will um, you know, materialize in one way, shape, or form. So if you ask a really significant angling question or my perspective on something and that usually does find its way into an article or to a podcast but so so keep that in mind if uh, I don't get back to you specifically uh, in this format but I, I will get back to you um, individually the first bit of feedback was a comment on an article I wrote about sunglasses and I wrote an article about my newest pair of sunglasses actually technically they're not my newest pair they're my newest pair of fishing sunglasses um, and they're from costa and they are a sunrise yellow lens i've talked about that before on the podcast and they're just fantastic for low light situations uh, i i can't believe that i've not had a pair of sunglasses like this for years and years so a lot of people use amber lenses and i do too my my primary fishing glasses that i use nine out of ten times it is an amber lens from costa with a green mirror finish and they're great they do an excellent job on virtually all angling situations with the exception of of two one mike points out here in in the comment i'll get to in a second and very very early morning and very very late evening so those uh 
dawn and dusk situations. There, they're too dark, and so you've played that game. I'm sure you have, where you tip your glasses down over your nose, and you're trying to figure out, is the glare uh, a bigger problem, or is the darkness from the lenses of my sunglasses a bigger problem? And trying to figure out, in that situation, what what's the ideal situation for looking for fish. Should I have my glasses on and it be darker, or have them off and have that glare? Having these sunrise yellow lenses kills it. It just totally takes care of it, and I keep them in my car all the time, and I throw them in my pack if I know I'm going to be out on the water late, and they do an excellent job. And the cool thing about them, I wrote about this in in the uh, article, is that I know what frames I like from Costa, and so I just got the exact same frames. Don't have to worry about fit. Ordered them online. Awesome, awesome sunglasses. So this is this is what Mike had to say about that. He said, I wish I could find a pair of glasses with polarized lenses that have the same shading as a polarizing filter on a camera that is virtually none. These would be extremely helpful in low-light conditions and would be better than amber, gray, or green. By the way, if you're going out on the big blue water, avoid the amber glasses. All right, two excellent points. The first one is how can you get minimal polarization. And I agree. I'd love to try out a pair of totally clear lenses like you would put on a, um, the front of a, of a camera. That being said, uh, these yellow sunrise lenses are are brightening, I actually feel. I'm, I'm sure you've had a pair of sunglasses like that. If they're the yellow or the amber, it feels like things are brighter, that colors pop. So it could be like an optical illusion, a little trick of the brain. You know, you're, you're, you're short-circuiting something between your optical nerves and your, your processing of it. But I feel like things are bright enough, but I would be interested in trying a totally clear lens because the other thing to, that's worth mentioning is that it's important to wear lenses all the time. I mean, you can get popped in the eye by a, a mouse or by a heavy streamer or even by a, a dry fly that has a hook on it or even just whipped by your line as you're casting when it's dark out and you might not even have that response time that you would otherwise have if you could see your line or your fly coming in the daytime. So wearing glasses matters. Always wear glasses while you're casting a fly. Just think about it just not worth it. So yeah, I'd be interested in trying lenses that had zero shading whatsoever, but I'm pretty content with my yellow sunrise lenses from Costa. But then my second point is also very, very good. Uh, avoid the amber lenses if you're going out on blue water. And that's also true. So amber is plenty dark for most circumstances, but there are times where the light is just so brilliant that that is not going to cut it and you're still going to get a headache or you're going to be you know, blinded basically by all of the light. And the blue water is a great example because there it's just glare off of the sky and glare off of the water and there, you, you just can't get away from it. So your eyes are getting quite the workout. So that's where you want to go into those gray uh, lenses, those dark, dark lenses. And it's a good thing to have in your uh, quiver. So I have a pair of gray lenses. They're gray with blue mirror lenses. And those are what I will wear if I am going to be out on the ocean on an incredibly bright day. I feel like I can still get by in the brightest of days if I'm on the river or, or um, if I'm on a stream or something like that with my dark amber lenses. But even just as I'm saying that, I'm thinking about the last time I was out on a lake fishing for smallmouth just with traditional gear. And it got pretty stinking bright out on that big lake. And I would have preferred to have my gray lenses than my uh, amber ones. So 
uh, like our, the point I made in the article, just remake it very, very briefly. We have so many fly rods. We have so many jackets. We have so many other things. Sunglasses are something that is going to make as big, if not greater, of an impact than having two different five weights or having a midweight jacket and a heavyweight jacket. And you don't need to spend big money, but I also think that sunglasses are one of those pieces of gear where you really get what you spend. I can talk about sunglasses all podcasts but I'm not going to. So thank you, Mike, for writing in, and uh, thank you for all the great things that you are doing in South Central Pennsylvania. All right, second one is a comment from Greg, and Greg was commenting on an older article about Appalachian Fold Leader Company and using leaders, and this is what he says. Good day, Matthew. Loving your podcasts and site. I spoke to Justin at Appalachian Fold Leader Company yesterday and ordered a furled leader. Never tried one, so figured it was worth the adventure. Question. Do you ever have issues going loop to loop in your guides? I always direct tie, which is a downfall if I want to swap out, but loop connections always seem to get caught in my guide. I have never lost a fish, but I'm always afraid I'm going to damage my rod. Do you have this issue? Thanks again for the time you spend on your site and podcasts. Well, Greg, thank you for reaching out and thank you for patronizing Appalachian for Leader Company. I have been using their products for years now. I can actually remember the first time I talked to Justin because I absolutely love this stuff. Um, and I still use them to this day, and I'm going to continue to use them because they make me a better caster in the majority of my fly fishing situations. But Greg brings up a very good point, and that is the connections. So furled leaders, by design, are going to attach to your fly line with a loop-to-loop connection. I'm sure you get cute and creative, and some of you probably know of other ways to attach them, But generally speaking, that is the way that they are made. They are made with a loop on one end, either a loop on the other end or a tippet ring. And I prefer loop on both ends with in every situation with the exception of my nymph rigs in which I like to have a tippet ring, which gives me a lot more flexibility when I get cute when I'm tying nymph rigs, which I don't do a whole heck of a lot. I try to keep it simple when I nymph. So to your question, Greg. I don't have a problem with it, uh, and, and here's why. It's because I, I prepare. I'm not saying you're not preparing or other people aren't preparing, but if my loop on my fly line is too big, either because I tied a bad knot or because what I bought is big and bulky, then I start from scratch. I guess that I should start start probably the, the more logical place to start. Uh, the, the loops on the Appalachian Furled Leader Company leaders are tiny. I mean, they are small. They almost run in line with the diameter of that leader from the package and then as soon as you have it on for a while cast with it fish with it pull it through the water it is going to get tighter not in any sort of way that's going to get crimped or anything it's a very very strong loop made out of the a lot of of, um, material that's been furled up together but it's not going to be a problem so the problem is going to lie on the fly line terminal end and this is going to be the case whether you use a furled leader or whether you use a tapered leader um, anything that uh, that you you use if you go loop to loop so like i said i start over if it's too big of a loop and it's not just the size it's the taper and this is one of the things that when i was working at the fly shop i spent a lot of time figuring out the best way to do this and this is kind of my my technique if i do not have a quality welded loop on the end of the line then I will cut that loop off or if I don't have a loop then then I start with a a blank fly line end 
and I will cut the line at a taper so that there is a tapered end uh, where it goes from the full thickness and then it narrows down uh, on one side. Then I double it over. This, this is nothing, you know, this is not rocket science. This is what a lot of people do. Um, double it over so that it tapers uh, from that loop and creates a very, very smooth transition. Then I will tie two nail knots next to each other using backing, Dacron backing. And this is the most integral part of the whole process, that they are tight, but they don't crimp too much into the fly line and that they don't make bubbles uh, over each other or over themselves, but they're nice and smooth. This might be a process that takes time, but you, you really want this to be solid and secure. And then trim up all those tag ends, smooth it out with your fingers, and then give it a good dose of sealant using some sort of UV curing sealant. Um, you could use something like a super glue as long as it was one of the material safe super glues, but I prefer the UV sealant and actually Loon makes a knot uh, sealant that is specifically formulated for the kind of materials you would be using in fishing knots. So what you effectively have is the smallest possible loop connection. If you're able to loop that thing over and tie those knots and then put some sealant on it and then test it, test it, test it and check for cracks. That's the other thing I do. If I tie my own uh, loops on the end of my fly line, I check for cracks frequently because I, I do just second guess myself. Did I tie this line well? Did I loop it too tight? Has it experienced some sort of trauma from being pulled on too hard by a leader? But that's the nice thing about using a furled leader is that it, it displaces all that pressure on your loop on your fly line across a wider um, swath. And it's, it's maybe just twice of what it would be if it were a singular piece of monofilament or fluorocarbon, but it does spread it out. So you're not going to have that kinking and compressing uh, action that you would otherwise get. So that might sound like a lot of minutia. It might like sound like getting in the weeds, but I think it's a very, very valuable question. And if anyone's ever had a rod blow up or a tip top pop off because they've had a bad knot get stuck as they were fighting a fish and that fish pulled it right out, uh, then it's certainly something worth thinking about. And this is one of those things, too, where it might take you five or ten minutes to just sit down and do it and do it right. But it is much more valuable to do that than it is to blow up your rod or to deal with something that's clunky while you're casting. If you're making a lot of short casts and your uh, fly line leader uh, transition is going back and forth out of maybe not just your tip top, but your tip top and your next guide multiple times just throughout you know a momentary fishing experience, then you want that to be a nice, smooth transition. And you know what? We're getting close to wintertime. These are the kind of things you can do, and I would encourage you to do it. Pull out all of your lines. Clean all of your lines. As part of cleaning your lines, maybe take a look at your backing to line transition, but certainly take a look at your line to leader transition or what would be the line to leader transition. So whether you have a welded loop on there or a loop that you've tied yourself, Check those things out. Make sure they are in good working order. And now is the time to fix it. There's plenty of great YouTube videos. And uh, take it into your local fly shop if you feel totally unqualified to do it, which is okay because it'd be awesome to see somebody do it you know, in front of you, show you how to do it, maybe sell you one of the knot curing uh, resins or one of the leader tools. Uh, Loon has just come out with a 
nail knot tying tool that is fantastic. And you you spend 10 bucks on that, a couple other dollars on some flies and some other things, maybe a new line if you found that it's super, super cracked. And this is something they might show you uh, where there is somewhere that you didn't otherwise see. But now is the time to do it. But anyway, all I'd say, it's a long answer, Greg, to your question. But thank you very much for writing in. The last email of the podcast is from Keith. This is what Keith says. Matthew, I just got my VW Spinner Day Pack. I am blown away by how brilliantly designed the pack is and the quality of the workmanship. Thanks for the advice. I'm so happy I bought from VW rather than from a big manufacturer. I've emailed my fly fishing friends recommending the pack to them. I also got the Douglas Upstream and can't wait to try it on the water. If there's one thing I miss about fishing New England mountain streams is that I would never see poisonous snakes. One trip in West Virginia and another in the Shenandoah and three copperheads. I'm testing my bravery. As always, I enjoy your articles and podcasts. I really like the recommendations at the end. Thanks for all you do, Keith. Well, Keith, I love this because what I'm not reading is the previous communication that we had back and forth where I said something on the podcast and then you asked me some questions and then you took some time, did some research on your own, and you bought a couple things to use on your fishing in the Mid-Atlantic. And I can't recommend the Spinner Day Pack and the Douglas Upstream uh, high enough. They both are awesome, awesome products. I'm glad that you are enjoying them in some of my old stomping grounds down in the Shenandoahs. But yes, you'd have to watch out for snakes. That is interesting. You know, Keith makes this point. Uh, I have stopped worrying about snakes. Where I fish now, up in the, the New Hampshire mountains especially, and up in Maine and places like that on the coast, I don't have to worry about snakes. I mean, there's other stuff that you can get hurt by, but snakes are an extra level of, you know, unfun. So when I've gone down to Virginia, I've gotten a little devil may care about hopping around rocks and I've come across I feel like more snakes since I've moved away than I did the whole time I was there and probably just because I've been less cautious but there's something to think about maybe talk about later but uh, he brings up a really good point uh, about the recommendations on the podcasts so every week I make a recommendation it is gear it are books websites Instagram pages uh, events activities all those things and Keith took that and he asked me follow-up questions. Is the VW Spinner Day Pack everything that I've made it out to be? Is it have the capacity for handling the kind of things that he wants to do? And we were able to have a little bit of a back and forth. And whether it be a backpack or a fly rod or an organization that I've mentioned, I would encourage you to do what Keith did. Reach out, ask me questions. There are some products that I have reviewed that I'm not a huge fan of. And, and as I've mentioned before on the podcast, if I think something's a total stinker, I'm just not going to do it. I'm not going to put it out there. Um, but that happens very, very few and far between. But if you want my honest opinion, if you want me to be uh, even more candid, and I feel like I'm pretty candid on the website and on the podcast, um, if you want just a specific example of how to use it in a certain situation, then please feel free to reach out. I'm happy to share the information uh, so many of the companies that I recommend and that I use, I have relationships with people, and that is not on a professional level, but simply the fly fishing community, industry, whatever you want to call it, is relatively small. So for everything that I put on my back that I throw in the trunk of my car, there's a at least a, a 50-50 chance that I know somebody who is involved in the production or the creation or the marketing of that product. And so 
I stand by the things that I recommend, and I'm happy to give you all more information if you need them. And so I'm really happy for Keith that he has two of my favorite pieces of gear, uh, the VW Spinner Day Pack and the Douglas Upstream Fly Rod. Uh, they are both just phenomenal things if you're spending your time away from your car, away from the road, on small mountain streams, chasing whatever fish that uh, you might be finding on uh, little creeks. And uh, so, Keith, have fun, watch out for snakes, and uh, thank you for the kind words about the podcast. So that's it. Three pieces of feedback. There's a lot more. I just like to keep the podcast between 20 and 25 minutes for your benefit and for mine. Believe it or not, I have other things that I have to do. So... That being said, we get to the point of the podcast where I talk about what was on the website this week. So this week had two articles, Monday and Friday. And I say that every time. That's what I do every week, Monday and Friday. Monday was called Quasi-Ironic Trout. Quasi-Ironic Trout. Quasi or Quasi? I don't know. I'm not sure. I heard it spoken both ways this week. But this was a fish that I caught at the very end of the day in a very flippant, very nonchalant manner. After an entire day of fishing hard, I caught the best fish. And it's best because it's the prettiest one. It's the biggest one. It was this made me the happiest without really even trying. So a little bit about that on Quasi-Ironic Trout that was put out on Monday. On Wednesday, I did a Rusty Flybox, which is a uh, anthology piece that is three stories Two of them are stories. One of them is kind of uh, descriptive about fishing for steelhead, uh, a.k.a. Lake Run Rainbows. And I have a big piece coming out next week on Lake Run Rainbows or steelhead, whatever makes you happiest. And so this is a little bit of a preview. So check that out if you live in the Mid-Atlantic, if you live in the Midwest. Um, I write a lot about Lake Erie and a little bit like Lake Michigan and uh, my time in Pennsylvania, New York, and Ohio. So check out those articles. There's some some pretty cool uh, stories there, if I do say so myself. This week's recommendation is super timely. All right, very timely. It's being recorded and released on the 15th of October. So a few weeks ago, I wrote about the Mayfly Project's One Fly event, and it is a fundraising activity for the Mayfly Project, which is a fly fishing organization that works with foster children. Uh, a wonderful program, great people. I've had the privilege of interviewing a number of mentors that work with the kids directly, as well as some of the administrative staff and their founders. Uh, awesome people doing some of the best work. I can't speak highly enough about the Mayfly Project. When I wrote that original article, uh, I talked about the OneFly event, the fundraiser, and some of the prizes. Uh, Diablo Paddle Sports Paddleboard Kayak, Custom Able Reel, a Custom Cerebella Rod, a Hand Painted Vans by Wes Ashcraft, River Quiver, Four Banger Rooftop Rod Rack, um, the Sightline Provision Package, Sweetwater Fly Rod, signed copies of Down by the River, which was my Timothy's recommendation uh, when we talked uh, last week on the podcast. There's been additional prizes that have been added to that. There's a custom fish by Amanda Wilshire. It is a custom piece of artwork. The one that they have uh, up on the uh, the website is a big metal trout. Be awesome for your cabin or for your living room if you have a very understanding family. Then there's also a half-day guide trip with Riders Run Guide Service on the Little Red River in Arkansas. Uh, that is where I caught my first trout ever. Not with Riders Run Guide Service, but on the Little Red River. And I've caught lots of trout there since then. So uh, there's some additional prizes that are worth checking out. And then this is like 
breaking news. So if you listen to this on the night of the 15th or on the 16th, then you need to go to Bob Mitchell's Fly Shop, which is on Instagram as MN Fly Shop, MN, like Minnesota, Fly Shop, and they are doing an auction to benefit Mayfly Project. And there are, I think, 28 lots of different prizes, everything from flies to a photography session with Justin Karf to there, I see bourbon, I see beer, I see some um, more artwork, some clothing, uh, all sorts of stuff, some some guided fishing, you name it. But if you go to their Instagram page, you will have opportunities to bid on some of these things, and all the proceeds will go to the Mayfly Project. So uh, again, this is kind of uh, late and quick, but uh, if you have an opportunity, definitely go to Bob Mitchell's Fly Shop's Instagram page, and uh, you'll be able to contribute towards the Mayfly Project with some other prizes there. Thanks for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe in your favorite podcast app and rate the podcast on iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com where you'll find more info on this podcast and three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish. to go like just full-blown redneck on these fish. This is like high-tech cane pole fishing right here. From the white sandy beaches to the crystal blue waters, enjoy the best fishing Panama City Beach has to offer during Chasing the Sun, Sundays at 9.30 a.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors, every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.